This podcast is proudly presented by Patagonia. Not bound by convention, Patagonia is in business to save our home planet. We get support from First Ascent Coffee. What if you could have the perfect cup outdoors and didn't have to settle for grocery store instant? With their commitment to keep jobs within a mountain community, they source and roast beans, brew up a big batch, and freeze dry it all under one roof in Crested Butte, Colorado. Use promo code CLIMBINGLOVE and we will know that you are supporting us in that way and get 20% off handcrafted instant coffee and whole bean. That's CLIMBINGLOVE at firstdescentcoffee.com. Good through March 2022. First Ascent connects you with all the hands who bring you coffee from seed to cup. This podcast is sponsored by Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort, but most importantly, your snacks. Deuter has a history of first ascents and alpine routes. Their head of product development even climbed Everest once in jeans. Hashtag not fake news. Founded in 1898, Deuter believes in fit, comfort, and ventilation. So you can focus on way cooler things like puppies, pocket bacon, and getting sendy, whether at the crag or in the alpine. Today we're going to talk about Ali. Ali means come on in a way or to encourage. Okay, we are done with the simple and normal uses of Ali. Now let's cut to the chase. LA Outdoor Personal Care products are made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. Their rich and repairing ingredients for their skincare collection are inspired by desert landscapes and their simple and recyclable packaging makes them eco-sustainable. LA commits to protecting the open spaces that we love by partnering with the Access Fund and 1% for the planet. That's LA Outdoor, A-L-L-E-Z. LA Outdoor, made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. This podcast gets support from Gnarly Nutrition, one of the leading protein supplements that tastes way better than they need to because they use quality natural ingredients. So whether you're a working mom who runs circles around your kids on weekends or an unprofessional climber trying to send that 513 in the gym, Gnarly Nutrition has all of your recovery needs. The only question you need to ask yourself is, are you a sucker for anything that tastes like chocolate ice cream? Yeah, me neither. Gnarly Nutrition is designed to enhance your progress and taste like a milkshake without all the crap. For me, at least, there are two types of people that find climbing. They like find climbing and they're like, oh, I might do that again. Or they are immediately like immersed. Our identity as one singular thing can be a strange source of pride. Come on, you can admit it. We've all admittedly felt a stab of joy when we're hanging out with our non-climbing civilian friends, recounting our latest epic climbing trip, or subtly, not so subtly, showing off rope burn wounds or off with bruises. We make public ticks on Mountain Project and secretly get a little too excited when someone asks what we did last weekend. There's always been something kind of special about being a misfit within a misfit sport. But it's more than a sport, right? For so many of us, it fills a void, creates community, gives us reasons to travel, or bail on family holiday dinner. Sorry, moms. But should any pursuit of an activity define who we are? Like, don't put me in a box. 
And yet identity and climbing are so inextricably linked. But what happens if you get injured? What happens when you make space for big life things that ultimately lead to less time outdoors and more time in the gym? When I first started climbing, the best thing that anybody ever told me is if I were to one day quit, I would still be me. And maybe I didn't fully believe or understand that then, but I'm a lot of other things too. We all are. Some days, climbing is just a part of who we are. And on others, we can actually use it as a mirror instead of a dopamine hit or escape or a single defining component. How we do anything is often how we do everything. And how we approach life and climbing is no different. And if you lose climbing or leave it, you'll still know who you are. So my name is Brittany Davis. I am a paraclimber and I live in the Southeast. Right now, currently located in North Carolina. And I've been climbing close to 10 years. Brittany Davis has spent over a decade climbing all over the Southeast. She's a route setter, a coach, and a competitive adaptive climber following an accident in 2017 that left her partially paralyzed. On March 29th, a 40-foot fall broke her L1 vertebrae, sending a piece of bone into her spinal cord. She describes it as one of those surreal dreams where you wake up and think, thank God that wasn't me standing in my underwear in front of the entire classroom. It wasn't real. Except after she woke up, shit got real. But Brittany has been gritting her way through life long before her accident. Even though Brittany feels optimistic about the future, her disability isn't always a source of strength and empowerment, and it's rarely a source of normalcy. But these days, her circumstance doesn't stop her from living her best life and competing around the world. Despite being dealt a rotten hand as a child and in the face of circumstances beyond her control, she's held fast. And what Brittany soon found was a community within paraclimbing, an internationally recognized sport created for athletes with disabilities. And I was like, oh, look at that. There are people who are like me out climbing and just seemed like the next step was competitive climbing. And I'm kind of a competitive person, so it ended up working out perfectly. And the good thing about this sport is that I know in myself that I'm, I'm pretty aggressive. So like if I would have been on a sports team, like I would have been the person that was getting pulled off the field like every single game because I hurt someone. <laughs> like I don't, I don't, I just see red and then like that's just what happens. So I was like, all right, this is a healthy sport for me to get involved with. And the only person that I'm hurting is myself. <laughs> if, I, if my skin is hurting, that only affects me. It doesn't hurt anybody else <laughs> type of deal. And I just love, I just love that climbing was a puzzle that I had to solve with my body. And your eyes get opened up to like this whole world of competitive climbing that just happens to be with other people that are disabled. And you're like, holy crap, all of these people are like me. And like, we all struggle to find bathrooms in a timely manner without pissing on ourselves type of deal. Like we all are like, oh crap, how are we gonna get across this gravel path? You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. This is not a climbing podcast. 
Well, sort of. This is a funny, sad, and somewhat uncomfortable podcast about choosing vulnerability and talking openly about our pain. This podcast is sponsored by Dirt Bike Climbers. Here's the show. Hey, a quick heads up. This episode contains some conversation about drug and alcohol use, verbal abuse, and at minute 22, Brittany goes into fair detail about her accident. Like, not too much detail, but enough that we thought that it warranted a mention. My childhood was crazy. I think my competitive side came from just trying to survive my childhood. I think that's what it was. My mom passed away whenever I was eight. She had cirrhosis of the liver. She had all kinds of crazy stuff going on in her life, which is why she went to the bottle and handled her situation that way. And she was married to a guy at the time and they had my half sister. And when my mom passed away, he just kind of kept me around to collect the check that came every month for my mom dying and uh, use that to also drink and do drugs and not pay the bills. And I didn't really have much of a childhood per se. Brittany grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. Ah, Jacksonville, home to the oldest skate park in the U.S., birthplace of Southern rock group Leonard Skinner, and epicenter of early cinematic film history in the 1900s. Prior to colonialism, Jacksonville was inhabited by the Tamaquan Native Americans, now extinct as a tribe. By the way, the Tamaquan were doing great in downtown Jacksonville, hunting and fishing and raising families until they were all exposed to countless disease brought by colonists in the 1500s. Um, shout out to colonialism for devastating native tribes with the aim of economic dominance and imposition of religion, language, and other cultural practices. Nevertheless, it's always sunny in Jacksonville, with an average of 270 days of sunshine per year. And it hasn't snowed in more than 30 years. By land area, Jacksonville is the largest city in the contiguous United States. It has more than 840 square miles and an urban park system that's four times the size of Manhattan. And despite having 80,000 acres of parks, including seven state parks, two national parks, a national preserve, 400 city parks and gardens, and an arboretum, there is very little rock climbing. I don't want to say no rock climbing because thanks to users like B. Biggs and Pebble Pusher on Mountain Project, there's a lot of park bouldering and something called buildering at the University of Florida. But I actually only found four classic climbs listed, and it's also worth mentioning that Pebble Pusher is now California-based. But this is where Brittany grew up. This was her home for more than half of her life. It's where she endured a childhood with a sick mother who couldn't take care of her because of a heavy alcohol addiction. And so Brittany grew up fast. By the time she was eight years old, Brittany was already responsible for raising and caring for her half-sister, who was born with fetal alcohol syndrome, which, while it can be treated, is irreversible. And after her mom passed, her quote-unquote stepdad didn't rise to the occasion. Brittany was alone. She fell into her own drinking and drug addiction by the time she was 14. She never knew her dad, and Brittany doesn't remember her mom. And that was life for Brittany in Jacksonville, Florida. I don't 
remember too much about her personality-wise. I remember instances that happened, um, and they're all negative, unfortunately. Like, she got into some trouble and went to a halfway house for a little while and then came back and was doing good. And then, like, me and my sister were watching TV in the living room, and then all of a sudden I hear, like, a loud thud, and I go in the kitchen, and apparently she had gotten a hold of some pills and was, like, on her back with, like, arms and legs straight up in the air like a cockroach and just, like, turning blue. And uh, so it's stuff like that that I remember. So I don't really know too much about her. And that was my reality. And I thought that that's what was normal. And it wasn't honestly until I was like 16 that I realized that like my whole life up until that point wasn't anything but normal. So I don't know who my dad is, and I'm assuming that I was a product of a one-night stand. Um, so I have no clue who he is, but there was a guy that reached out one time when I was like 14 that said that he was my dad, but called me from like a prison and talked about how when he got out of prison, he was gonna dig up a bunch of money he had buried in his backyard with all of his guns and stuff. And so I was like, all right, cool. If this guy is my dad, I don't want anything to do with this dude, so... But if Guy, who claimed to be Britney's dad, had called and said, hey, there's a modern day treasure buried in the backyard holding gold nuggets and a million dollars and an endless chocolate stash. And let's go get it when I get out of prison for a crime that I was wrongfully convicted of. Well, it would be a very different podcast episode. But there was no treasure, no father figure swooping in on a white horse, no hero dad. And so Brittany went deep into survival mode. Kids whose families don't provide consistent safety, comfort, and protection develop their own ways of coping, just to allow them to function day to day. And developing healthy coping skills at a young age isn't impossible, but without a support system, it is unlikely. When kids are forced to deal with trauma, they lose the luxury of just being a kid. And in addition to the cost of these intangible losses, children who are forced to grow up in a hurry eventually turn into young adults. The coping strategy is often just enough to keep one's head above water, learned with limited resources and little regard for the long-term consequence. I guess my coping mechanism was clinging to male figures. So all of the male relationships that I've had in my life, like dating wise, have always been at least two years or longer. Like my first boyfriend was two years. And I guess that was my coping mechanism. It was like, I need love and this is how I get love type of thing. So I give myself to people and then I get love back. But that wasn't real love. And it took me a while to figure that out. And then for a while there, because my stepdad was so verbally abusive and mentally abusive, like every day of my life, I too sought out alcohol and weed and pills until one day, like I woke up and went to the bathroom and saw myself in the mirror and was just like, I'm turning into my mom and that's not who I want to be. I think honestly, like, even though it sucks not having my mom around, like my actual mom, I've got two great moms I got my mother-in-law, who is like the most rational woman that I know. So I go to her to advice all the time. And then I've got my aunt who took me in when I was like 16 and um, helped me realize that like, hey, your shit's fucked up. And this is not, this is not what normal life is like. Um, I thought that she was a crazy Christian and like hated going to her house at times because she was so strict. And I was used to having a life where I was just like, oh, I can do whatever I want and I don't have to answer to anybody. The only person Brittany had to answer to was herself. 
Not her mom, not her crazy Christian aunt, and definitely not Guy who claimed to be Britney's dad. And when she finally looked in the mirror, she didn't like where her decisions were taking her. It was time to stop making short-term solutions to long-term problems. So I contacted the only person that I knew to, which was my crazy Christian aunt. But like, it was polar opposite of what I had known. So it was a huge adjustment, but she came and picked me up that day. We packed all my crap up and went and moved in with her. And then at that point, I only needed a credit and have to graduate. She enrolled me into homeschool, dual enrolled, I guess that's what it's called. So I did that and then started college. And um, that's whenever I met Aaron. Hi. Aaron was cute, and he was super laid back, and Brittany wanted to get to know him better. So she did what any empowered, goal-oriented single woman would do. She put herself out there. So I kind of, like, put myself in his area and made my presence known until we finally, like, started a conversation. And then he told me that he worked at a climbing gym, and I was like, oh, climbing? Like, what's rock climbing? I want to try that, and I went once, and I bought a membership the next day. Brittany got a taste of happily ever after, except it wasn't happily ever after. It was finally just beginning. She and Aaron started to build a new life together. Brittany started to build a new life. She graduated with honors, and things were just moving along. That's when Aaron asked Brittany to marry him. And we had just moved up here, or it felt like we had just moved up here. We, we had made this big move, and I love cooking. I've been working in food, like, my whole life, basically. So that's all that I knew. But I would help at the climbing gym, like, whenever competitions would happen. And I really liked that. And then I got really into working out, and then I realized that I really liked helping other women realize that they were strong and that they could lift weight, and, like, it would change their body. So I left my food industry and started my own personal training business and was a certified personal trainer. And then that's whenever we decided that we wanted to get out of Florida. So we moved to North Carolina in 2015 and there was an opportunity to get in with a gym that was starting from the ground up. And one of our goals is to hopefully one day run our own. So we moved up here and got working in the gym and it was literally just him setting this entire gym. Route setting as a profession is creative, technical, and incredibly physical. Regardless of things such as gender and size, the more movement you learn, the more well-rounded you become, the better you climb. And ultimately, women are built differently than our male counterparts. Our center of gravity is different. Our strengths and weaknesses are too. And Brittany saw this as the perfect opportunity. Brittany and Aaron moved away from their hometown to live closer to outdoor climbing. Brittany described this time in her life as the best it's ever been. She started her business as a personal trainer, and Aaron worked as the head route setter in their local gym. At this point, Brittany had been climbing long enough that she felt like she had a good understanding of things like movement and sequences. So when Aaron asked her if she wanted to try route setting, she said yes. 
And I get to make this piece of art that people are going to climb on and get stronger. And I was super excited. It was just whenever all of these like female initiatives were getting started. And USA Climbing was purposely trying to bring up women in route setting in the higher ranks. And I went and got my USA Climbing like L1 and planned on getting higher up in the ranks. But the level two certification only comes out maybe like once or twice a year. So I was just waiting for that next one to come around. And shortly after that is whenever I had my accident. It was our first time away from our families. It was us, like just us. And we had started this new path and we were both working in the same place. We were both pursuing this passion that we were into and everything. And then the accident happened. It was March 29th, 2017. Him and one of our other setters was down in Charlotte setting for a competition that weekend. And I had volunteers to stay behind to keep up with the workload at the actual gym. So I was setting by myself and set up a fixed line and then have a tagline for our bucket and Jumar up the fixed line and set from bottom to top or top to bottom, however you want to do it. And then you take the fixed line down and then you climb. And you're supposed to climb on the audible and that's not what happened. <laughs> so I had my setup. I set two routes simultaneously. I full ran both of them simultaneously, like as I was making tweaks and stuff, but you always want to do like one final go through and make sure that everything runs smoothly. I came down and took like a 10 minute break, put on my climbing shoes to actually run the route in your climbing shoes. And uh, someone asked me a question, distracted me for a second while I was setting up and uh, You know, I'd been climbing for close to 10 years at this point. I'd been setting for a decent amount of time, but gravity never sleeps. So I uh, climbed up and thought that I was attached to the piece of gear that I wasn't, took off my other two points of contact at the top of the wall and dropped from the top of the wall. So I fell about 40 feet. My L1 vertebrae, like your lower back, it exploded and then sent a piece of bone into my spinal cord. And I don't remember any of this, but I was instantly paralyzed from the waist down. And also like really messed up my wrist. <laughs> like it was basically hanging on by skin. Hold fast. We'll be back after this short break. We're working with BetterHelp to connect you to licensed therapists. They'll match you with the perfect therapist for a fraction of the cost of traditional therapy. You know who goes to therapy? Prince Harry, Emma Stone, Jenny Slate, Kesha. Therapy is beautiful. Everyone should go to therapy. Go to betterhelp.com slash climbing to sign up and receive 10% off your first month. It helps support the show and it helps support you. Even though we say it in different ways, our message is the same. Climbing is our home. Community is rock solid. People I like feel connected to. The support and love. Human connection, that's what we're all striving for. That's what climbing is to me, it's magic. Whether we do it to find connection within ourselves, with each other, with the land, or for the food. Okay, it's kind of always about the food. Climbing shapes us as individuals and a collective. These are the voices that make up a community, the ones that call us back home. What has climbing taught you? Uh, Climbing's taught me. Climbing has taught me. Taught me to be patient is, you know, great things take time. I wake up and I think about climbing. What's the real reason that you climb? I go to sleep thinking about climbing. The crack food. All of the food. 
Each climber's voice is a point of contact into the broader community. Connect with more stories and check out Patagonia's climbing apparel that's built to move and built to last at patagonia.com slash climbing. Everything changes from scientific revolutions to institutional systems of law. Every microcosm, every everything. We're all on this plane of existence in a constant state of evolution. And we're always learning and enhancing and adapting. And climate is no exception. I mean, we're in the Olympics, people. But how did we get here? And what's next? This July, Vibram explores everything from technical climbing gear to how athletes all over the globe shifted their focus in response to the COVID-19 crisis. The future of climbing goes beyond the Olympics, and Vibram fully dedicates its brand to a commitment of gender equality in competitions and rock climbing. Follow Vibram on Instagram this month as they recount the world of climbing from their side of things. No, literally, like, from the other side of the Atlantic. There's a lot that happened after the fall, but Brittany doesn't remember it. She knows what happened, but her memories are fragmented, which is common in most trauma narratives. Even though the explicit facts and details of the fall are there, retrieved and stored in Brittany's semantic memory, her emotional and personal connection to that day are disassociated from the rest of it. Disassociation is a break in how your mind handles information. It was Britney's way of protecting herself when she was little Britney, and it was her way of self-protection after falling 40 feet. There are these traumatic situations that don't feel real to me. Like, they don't feel like they actually happened to me. I guess they're memories, but in my head, they feel like dreams. They feel like dreams that I had that don't feel real. And I don't remember ever talking to the EMTs or anything like that, but apparently I did. I recited Aaron's phone number. They asked me what hospital I wanted to go to. And luckily, someone stepped in for me and was like, no, you need to take her to this place. We're there in the emergency room, and I can recall the emergency room almost like an out-of-body experience. I remember hearing Aaron's voice and him being like, can you stay with her? I can't be in here, because they were about to reset my wrist. And, um, and then I remember hearing crazy screams. And then now, when I think back on it, I'm like, oh, that was me. Like, that was me screaming. <laughs> my first actual memory was waking up two days later and saw the ceiling tiles and realized, shit, that wasn't a dream. That was real. <laughs> Everything kind of starts getting snapped back into place. And, yeah. Uh, what you just described, I often describe. Growing up, Brittany had never been to a hospital before, but she'd also never broken a bone or been deathly sick and needed to go. When she first woke up, she could tell that she had broken her arm, but what she didn't know yet was that she was paralyzed from the waist down. But I didn't know anything about my legs at the time. And, um, yeah, I remember Aaron trying to explain it to me, and then I started freaking out. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Like, what does that mean? He's like, your legs don't work. 
and then I was just like, what? And I like try, I remember like trying to move my legs and stuff. And I was naive and oblivious. And in my brain, when I hear injury, I'm like, oh, this is something you can come back from. So they say you have a spinal cord injury and they say your legs are partially paralyzed. None of that fully set in until months later. I heard injury and I was like, okay, well this is gonna be a really long process, but I'll get back to normal. Realizing now almost two and a half years later that like I'm actually very lucky in and how much I've been able to get back and then I actually even learned to walk again but like my first thought was am I going to be able to climb again for whatever reason I didn't even think about like I would need to learn to walk again I would need to learn to sit up your bowels don't work your bladder doesn't work you can't sit up on your own you're like your core muscles don't work you have to learn how to sit you have to learn how to roll you have to learn how to crawl you have to learn how to maybe hopefully one day eventually learn how to walk It's cliche as fuck, but we're born into this world alone, and we'll leave it the same. During the time in between, we get to be not so alone, for a little bit at least. Growing up, Brittany had a not-so-typical childhood. She was the one who had to always rise to the occasion because nobody else was going to, and that can be really lonely. Brittany was alone for a majority of those years, but she adapted and she figured it out and she would have to do it all over again. But this time, the difference was that she had people in her corner, literally every step of the way. And it's kind of amazing to think about the difference we can make in one person's life when they have a strong community rally and show up and to hold them up when they can't stand on their own. For me, it was honestly the first time in my life and I'm gonna cry. It was the first time in my life that I felt like I had a real support system because growing up, I didn't really have that. There were so many people that just came out of nowhere. We had just moved here. We hadn't even really met too many people yet, but like people that I'd only talked to like once or twice came and visited me in the hospital, not once, not twice, like several times. And so it was just like, I needed that. And I think that that's what helped me the most. I'd never expected that many people to come out. That was not ever something that I had. So for me in my brain, like people that had cared about me in the short time that I knew them, I was just like, holy shit, like people like me. I am important. Fantastic Beast had just came out on video and I wanted to see it and I missed it. And so they brought it to me. That was like one of the coolest things. And my room was ridiculous. My room had so many flowers and cards and like all of our team kids sent us cards and stuff and came and visited. And they made me like this thing that had pictures of me smiling on top of boulders and stuff and saying like, we love you, Brittany, or whatever, like little things like that. Like I would look at that every day. I had a a lot of people behind me. I would say the person that wasn't behind me was myself because I thought like once I got out of rehab, I'm like, things are gonna be this way and things are gonna be that way. And then it started setting in that like, I'm in this bed all the time. And I was angry at myself because it was my fault. The accident was essentially my fault. I got complacent. I didn't double check or triple check my stuff. So I blamed myself. And then I started letting myself down and like started beating myself up. And every day it was just like, you did this to yourself. You can't be mad at the world, you did this to yourself. Do you still have feelings like that? Every now 
lemon, but I put my thoughts and emotion in this jar and fill it with this color that I associated with all of those emotions of anger and grief and blaming myself and then throw it off of a cliff. And then every now and then I get those feelings of like, I have like my pity party days where like I let myself have a bad day. Like this sucks, but it was just an accident. And then what picks me up is like, there are people that have the exact same injury as me that wish that they could do the things that I can do. And even though I'm in pain, I gotta get up and do it because on the days that I can't do it for myself, I do it for other people. Brittany is still climbing, will continue to climb, not without difficulty or hard days, but with the same grit that she had growing up. Grit is a funny thing. You grit your way through childhood, through college, and all of the other difficult little corners of life. But as you get older, you learn to do it more softly and with grace and self-compassion. You know, if Brittany isn't the epitome of a strong woman, then I sincerely don't know what is. And she's been incredibly open about not just her injury, but all of her progress and recovery throughout it, as well as her past. Most people run from a past like Brittany's. But after falling 40 feet, Brittany didn't have that option. Today, she's a competitive adaptive climber for Team USA. She's won the third U.S. team spot for her category in nationals and competed twice in the Paraclimbing World Championships in France. She's supported by Adaptive Climbing Group, Sloth Group, and Adidas, as well as an entire community who rallied behind her in 2017 and stands with her as she charges toward the podium. People might think like, oh, she's crazy for going back rock climbing and it was a struggle bus. Maybe like a struggle freight train. I, I usually call it a struggle barge. <laughs> Nobody's struggle is actually as big as a bus. And and you know what the cool thing is too? Like if you quit climbing tomorrow, like you would still be Brittany and you would still have a community behind you. Yeah, and I had my end goal too. When I left rehab, I was like, okay, I'm walking again, might not be the best, but my end goal in this recovery was to rock climb again. And I did that. And I really, really want a podium at Worlds. My goal for this world was to make it to finals. Because in all realness, I've only been climbing in this body for about a year and a half. So my goal to try and get to the podium like right now is not realistic in my mind. I've got a long way to go. But my goal this world was to just make it to finals. And I did. And I was so happy. So now my next one, since I have two years to train, I want to make it to the podium. My injury sucks. Yes, there are days where I'm like, God, I wish that this didn't happen to me, but it's made me a more open person. It's made me, I think, a lot more understanding. And I've also met a ton of amazing people and all of the paraclimbing people, they're all amazing. I mean, when you have shitty stuff happening, you kind of have to have a sense of humor. So when we get together, like, it's fucking crazy. It's a lot of fun and people are having a great time, but it's like hurting a pile of wet cats. Even though I still have no idea what I'm doing, things are happening. And if you'd like to help out and support us, check out patreon.com where you can sponsor us for as little as one cup of bodega coffee. It really helps keep this podcast going. And for the record, we love bodega coffee. Special shout out to Peter Darmy because he makes this thing sound good. 
You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. A huge thank you to Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort. And a big thank you to Gnarly Nutrition for supporting this podcast and the messages that we share. Gnarly Nutrition supports a community of vulnerability and equality and tastes like a milkshake without all the crap. A big shout out to LA Outdoor for supporting the Access Fund and 1% for the planet. And thanks to Patagonia. Not bound by convention, Patagonia is in business to save our home planet. Support companies who support this podcast. We couldn't do it without them. If you liked what you heard, you can leave a review on iTunes. Or give us a like. Like all good things, you can find us on the internet. Until next time.